Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, back from Berlin, but Anne Thompson is not. She's somehow still out there. So, Anne, how are things in the second half of the festival out there? Well, uh, when you go to a big, sprawling, metropolitan festival like this, it's really fun to learn the ropes, you know, to figure out how it works, to figure out yeah. where you are. <laughs> you, yeah, you were losing your Berlin virginity last time we spoke. <laughs> yeah, so so I've gotten the hang of it, more or less, but there, there's... um. You know, there's some weird oddities of, of like when do they have the press screenings and when which sections have press screenings and how do you get tickets to different venues. You know, I got shut out of the Yankee because I was standing in line with a press pass, but I didn't have a ticket. So they filled up the room at the Cubics down at the Alexander Plots. The, of course. So I've been wandering around the city and learning, uh, you know, going to the Holocaust Memorial, which was very moving and and seeing the the Brandenburg Gate and the Reichstag and, and stuff like that in the middle of trying to see movies and get my work done. But as you can see, Berlin is not can. I mean, you may have some weird rules and stuff, but in terms of the kind of insanity of it, you know, I mean, can, uh, to me, it took a couple of years to kind of feel comfortable in that environment. The Berlinale is, is a much more approachable festival in some ways because it's also for the locals and it's for so many different audiences and it's for people who are there to do business ahead of Cannes. So it is a very easy to navigate kind of environment. Relative Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I checked into the market. I checked into um, a panel about 50-50 by 2020, which was really great. It gave a sort of history of the whole movement. Um, which I've been writing up. Uh, women did very well um, at the Berlinale. A lot of good, strong movies from Sundance, from people like Eliza Hittman with Never Rarely, oh, no, Sometimes, Always, and 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 the uh, which I think may have been the best received film at the festival. I'm curious to I see if the jury be, agrees with yeah. that. It'll you know? be interesting to see what happened. I mean, we had a great conversation over dinner with a bunch of industry people a few nights ago about sort of handicapping the uh, Golden Bear race. Apologies if that term is, is uh, anachronistic, but I think that it is important to take into account, one, juries can be very arbitrary, but two, th- this year, the the film, I, I, I saw a lot of good films, but there are so many different modes and sensibilities, and I could see almost every single one of them dividing people with very few exceptions, and that would be the one that that, that wouldn't, I would think. So it'll be interesting. Yes. To that. uh, that's an inter- but the question is whether Jeremy Irons, the jury chairman, um, who has expressed views that are, are anti-abortion in the past, um, you know, he 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 has denounced himself. He says yeah, he's, he's pro-abortion now. But, <laughs> but you know, who knows there, how he reacts to this movie? You well, know, we have to also thing. acknowledge. It's, I think it's hard to 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 acknowledge this, but even if. On some level, this, those beliefs were sincere, and of course, they would be abhorrent. If so, that it is possible for an artist with abhorrent views to also appreciate top top shelf filmmaking, and that maybe that maybe it's not the issue that one might assume from the outside in that respect. But uh, but it's also possible there could be a surprise in here. I mean, a lot of times, a film that wins the Golden Bear could be something like you know, a separation, but it could also be something like Black Cold Thin Ice, a film that, 
you know, has very, you know, even to this day does not have a big profile around the world. So it can go a lot of different ways. And this competition has had so many different kinds of possibilities in that respect. I mean, you know, this film Down Natasha, which I, I found fascinating is has generated a lot of controversy and divided people, but it's such an accomplishment that it's, you know, it was shot in the Soviet factory set over the course of many years that I wonder if a jury might, you know, be really energized by something like that. You don't know. I mean, um, it's hard to, it's hard to, it is hard to sort of look at, I mean, someone like Kenneth Lonergan is going to have a, a sort of different set of demands right. um, than someone like Bernice Bejo or, or Jeremy Irons, who are actors. Or Clever Mendoza Fielho, who is yeah, a critic. Right. So they might actually respond to something like, um, uh, my little sister, uh, which is it has extraordinary performances, or or even um, the very well reviewed uh, Christian Petzold. Yeah, um, I've been thinking about Undine. the Petzold. That Undine we, that- you and I had a little, you and I had a little argument about it earlier today. Basically, both of us, because we had been so, I think this, I'm, I, I'm speaking for you now, but because we had had such um, strong positive reaction to his last three films, Barbara Phoenix and Transit. You didn't see Transit, though, or did you catch I up did. with it? I did. I finally caught up with it, and I thought it was terrific. I think the thing with Undina this is that you disappointing could see... disappointing in, yeah, com- in contrast. I think that even so, so I mean, I, I, I will dig my heels in and say that it's not exclusively context here, you know, a minor petzel. I do think that the movie has some great filmmaking in it. The lead performance is outstanding, and the idea of... A Paula woman Beer who's is sort of, amazing, and she's yeah, only Paula twenty-four Beer. years old. Yeah, that's a breakout, and 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 I think that the the starting point for the movie is this woman who runs tours about the history of the sort of urban landscape in Berlin, who then is sort of like haunted by uh, her investment in in that world and the way it impacts her relationship to these two different men, and it goes some very fascinating directions. But I think and it, it goes underwater. Track. And it's yeah, beautiful. It's, it's beautifully made. It's very it's, atmospheric, but, but she really doesn't um, make sense. In yeah, it doesn't. That's a problem. It doesn't that pay I think off. It, it becomes this sort of almost like shape of water it's type enigmatic. of romantic thing. And I think it's just it's too invested in the enigma to to make it as gratifying as, as you want it to be. And so I do, I do think but that even if it wasn't a pet salt movie, I, I'd say there's a lot. You and I there. could agree that we're disappointed by it, but there is a lot there. And the point is that the other people have reviewed it a lot better than we have. And, and that is what's interesting to me. Well, uh, and until recently, also, it was at the top of the sound, uh, the uh, um, screen grid, the screen jury grid. And, and fact uh, was taken over by the Eliza Hitman movie. So so we shall see. What about yeah, the Hong Sen Su? You saw that. Yeah, I, I liked it. It's got film school production values, but in the same way that when, you know, the quote-unquote mumblecore movies were breaking out 15 years ago, people were like, well, the production values aren't very good, but it's capturing something really sharp. I I honestly, the more that I get in, invested in Hong Sen Su's films, the more fascinated I am by him, because even though there is this argument that he seems to make the same movie over and over again, they're really not. They're just he makes very sort of lo-fi stories about people who sit around, drink a lot and complain about their problems. And yet they he has very specific characters each time. And this one, I think, is, is fascinating that the structure of the film is basically just a woman who goes 
her, her husband is out of town. She hasn't been away from him in five years. And she spends this time visiting three different friends. And each time she visits a friend, this really annoying man shows up and they have to deal with it. And it bec- it's a different man each time. But it ends up being this really fascinating kind of meditation on individualistic women and the way that men always try to kind of force themselves into the middle of situations. And But it's still very subtle. And so while I would say that, you know, it's certainly not to all tastes, and there were better made movies from you know production value standpoint. It's a it's a very intellectually honest film, and I, I'm glad they put it in competition because Hong Sang Soo really is a major director with a real clarity of vision. Yeah, and and I know that uh, it played uh, his his films have played at, at Locarno, so this is something that the film the yeah. uh, that that Carlo uh, Tatrion supports, and he also booked the uh, My Little Sister uh, filmmakers with their the first Swiss film. filmmaker, right? Yeah. yeah. So this, no, you but the other. Locarno. Thing that I'm, but a lot. Well, you know what people are saying about this festival? They're saying it feels like Locarno. Well, I mean, that, the I fact think it makes that's a lot exactly what it is. It is. Yeah. It is very much. You've been there, uh, and I and I think that that's fair. And and, and people it's, it's are good. expecting. Ber- well, you think so, but. The people here in Berlin, I'm just reflecting what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I have nothing to compare it to except Locarno right. because I've never been to Berlin, but they were expecting something more uh, defined the way it was before. So well, this is the I mean, risk that, when you have that's, new that's management, they have to establish themselves. But I mean, when I went to Berlin, the vitriol for the programming there especially among locals, was deafening because there wasn't really a sense that the competition, which remember in European festivals as opposed to the U.S., the idea of being a competition film is is such a big deal. There was no real through line to it. And there were some films that were tremendous, a Bellatar film or something like that. And then there were others where it was like this random documentary and you're like, why is this here? And um, not to, you know, knock documentaries, but it would just be a very uneven kind of selection. And I think that while they may get to the point as programmers where they could get you know some some other kinds of movies that might be a little snazzier just start as a starting point to program movies that are uh, on the level of you know global cinema very exciting and different and will generate conversation among critics that's a pretty good way to lay the groundwork for how to use this environment in between Sundance and can to launch a range of movies that would otherwise maybe be buried in the fall season or maybe surface at Locarno where they're not going to get the same kind of platform. So no, I do it's think interesting. It's first Cow played well, the, the Sundance movie. Some people are saying that the best films here are the Sundance movies. The one that did not play well was The Roads Not Taken, the Sally Potter with Javier Bardem and Elle Fanning. And I would have to say that the, um, the father that was um, in Sundance with Anthony Hopkins and um, Olivia Coleman was a much more compelling and, and um, immersive uh, drama than something that kept you watching, that kept you guessing. When you start to watch this movie where this girl is taking care of her sort of mentally deranged or, or what's wrong with his brain kind of deteriorating dementia ridden guy who's thinking about all these other things and he's not really there. Um, it's, 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 you know, exactly what's going to happen in the next uh, two hours. And it's really uh, kind of boring to well, have, have to, to sit through it. And on some level, people know this because the, the film is opening in the U S pretty it's soon. soon. Siberia. So. Did you, did you see the Abel <laughs> Ferrara, which I uh, oh, yeah. basically skipped because it looked awful to me. It, um, even by Abel Ferrara's standards, this is 
a crazy movie. Uh, it's like this Jungian mind trip in which Abel Ferrara is a kind of a bartender in the middle of a snowy landscape, wrestling with um, the regret he feels over the death of his father and relationship with other relatives and his family and his son. And he goes from his bar through a cave and on this weird dog sledding mission that at some point randomly winds up in the middle of the desert and um, a fish speaks Hebrew in the last scene. It get there's a bear. He fights with a bear. This movie is like one nutty thing after another. And yet Defoe plays it straight. And I have to say as much as there are parts of it that are kind of so laughably absurd, you wish that they hadn't made the final cut. There's a lot to appreciate about the creative risk of this movie. And Ferrara, you know, he, to his credit, I mean, a guy at that stage of his career going for it with a movie like this is, is very rare. And so, you know, I would say this is for diehards only and probably like most of his stuff might not I do not fall in that category. Yeah, I really yeah, I mean, didn't care for Tomasio. So the Philippe Garel, the, the Salt of Tears, um, that has also been widely rejected, I have well, to say. Well, that film is opening in Paris pretty soon or in France pretty soon. So I think that it's sort of like they just wanted to like get it out and, and over with. But I've talked to a lot of critics who like it quite a bit because – Gorel is attracts that kind of auteurist thing, you know, similar to Hong Sang Soo, although Gorel has been making movies much longer in that there's a, there's a kind of consistency to the stories he tells these at this point, these very kind of minimalist black and white character studies. And I think that the tone of the movie is a little hard to assess, but I did appreciate the way it's kind of like, it's, it's, it dwells in this kind of awful guy who thinks that he's like a romantic heartthrob but ends up alienating himself from all these people because he's just so full of himself. And, and in that sense, it is very perceptive. It's just, I think... I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. I, I, I found it there. to be a, a story, a familiar story, oft told, and not bringing any new depth to it. In fact, these well, characters were all so shallow that well, I hated them guy. all. That's I, also I, part of the it problem. was really, yeah. a, 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 and this too was a boring film. Well, all right, I so it, one of the films I to saw today, this. which I loved, was Charlatan, the Agnieszka Holland, which is in Marilyn Isle Special Gala. Why wasn't this in in the in the competition? It's one well, of the best be things I've different. seen here. I, I haven't. It's a seen Czech Charlotte. film that was yeah, um, basically a you know a true story about this faith healer uh, who who gets into trouble with the authorities, but he also behind the scenes uh, has has a a quiet uh, strong feelings for his assistant, who's really I good. Seen, I haven't seen this Charlotte, but I would say so. That there's a homosexual seen- subtext to the story. I haven't seen Charlatan, but I would say that the question with a film like that of why it's not in competition is is probably pretty easy to assess because the same pe- it's in a special it has like a gala special screening slot and the same people who select the competition also do those slots unlike some of the other sections at the festival. So my guess would be they have a certain number of slots for films that they think will work in the context of competition and maybe a film like this doesn't necessarily need it to stand out and the competition itself doesn't need the film in a way because it, of other kinds of films in the section. Like it'll be fine. She's a revered filmmaker. The subject matter is interesting to people, all that kind of stuff. Now you saw Mini so, Mata, which was in this section. That was and, terrible. And, and I didn't, again, I skipped that one. Did not High belong Ground in was okay. The Australian film. You know, Let's just talk about that. the ones that we really like though. Gunda, the pig movie. Come on. Didn't we already do that last time? No, 
We need we didn't we had because you hadn't seen it yet. I loved it. It's really great. It's my favorite film of the whole. I, I really loved underplaying this movie because I wanted to see what would happen. I had really had no. You idea were trying how to talk play. me out of seeing it, Eric. It's a <laughs> good thing I, that I stubbornly defy you at every turn. <laughs> well, or some maybe I knew exactly what I was doing there. You know, I don't you, think you'll so. Never know. I don't. You, you kept saying yeah, it's know. just a movie about a, a pig in close up. <laughs> you know, as if, well, to as be if, fair, I also had to rewatch this movie. Why is that? Because the first time I watched it, I, I appreciated the technique, and I wasn't sure if the ideas, if, if there was enough there to, to really grasp onto. And when I revisited it, I realized that it's it's a film that takes a while to settle in, in terms of, of how much it draws you into uh, animal consciousness. It's not a film that anthropomorphizes the life of a pig, you know, and it's not a National Geographic type of thing. There's no music, there's no voiceover or anything instead it meets animals on their own terms and as you spend time with them you start to understand that more and then there's this heart-wrenching finale which we shouldn't spoil but But i will say that the director um who shot this with with um an ra mini camera and um had, had an elaborate set with uh, camera holes so that he could put the lens inside the the barn that he built and and he had tracking shots and he had you know, elaborate sound design. And it's actually, if you can see it in Dolby Atmos, I hope Neon, which picked this up, I hope they do play that yeah. angle on it. They must see the It's a little bit like there. Roma in a weird way. I mean, it's got yeah, no, that I mean, level of fake sound well, also, so that, that becomes the soundtrack i mean if you want to get and i'm sure neon sees this if you want to get more than just the diehard cinephiles to commit to go see this movie it really needs to feel like a consistent theatrical experience because it's not it's not there's no real narrative to it it's like pigs and cows and chickens you know for 90 the narrative minutes. what's interesting about it is that the pig that he cast who he describes as the Meryl Streep of pigs our our uh, our gunda um is so charismatic that when she turns to the camera at a certain key moment and emotes straight at us it works like you wouldn't believe and so, so he earns it he earns his, his emotions there the other the other manipulating and- them the other black and white non-narrative feature that I I really loved in a festival this year, and I didn't know that it would that I was going to be as positive on it, was Last and First Men, which is uh, you know the only feature that Johan Johansson directed before his death in, in 2018. The composer. Yeah, and and what's so fascinating? But did you get a chance to see this? No, thing? I didn't. This is I one of those cases where they didn't have press screenings, mm-hmm. and and I didn't figure out how to get a ticket. Um, so you know, next time I come, I'll be a little on. I was, I, I think I alerted you to that film. Uh, it, it, it well, it's something I was interested in. Yeah, it's a, and we premiered, premiered the trailer, and we've heard about it. And the thing is, it's not exactly new because he had what it is is it's based on a 1930 um, speculative sci-fi text and uh, sort of like a letter from a distant humanity to its past as as uh, before the end of the world and he he's taken the text it's a Tilda Swinton voiceover and he's used these old Yugoslavian um sculptures that are World War II memorials essentially as the visuals and written a score around it so he had actually had this performed with a live score a few times and they've turned this into a feature but it's almost like it's like Koyaniskazi type of you know cosmic 
experience, but also guided along by this science fiction storytelling. So it's just a really singular kind of cinematic experience. I don't know what kind of life it'll have in the U.S. Hopefully somebody figures out a way to kind of get it to travel around, but it was a really terrific, uh, rewarding thing. To so this from. was um, the Oscar winner Hilder Goddess Daughter's uh, mentor. He exactly. yeah, she studied with him. And he did so. Theory of Everything. That's, he did right. Man. carrying on I his... Mean, his did, work. And he did Arrival, and there is a kinship with Arrival in this movie quite to, to some extent. So that was really gratifying. And we should talk about Pinocchio. What a, what a su- nice surprise Pinocchio. That's was. the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the movie where I sat there in this big theater, not knowing what to expect, really. Although, because uh, honestly, Matteo Garone is is a filmmaker who can go deep into realism with with you know he can be completely naturalistic or he can go all the way to having um someone like uh Salma Hayek you know eating a live heart with blood all over her face I mean he goes he can be operatic and he can be naturalistic this is on the operatic scale and it is gorgeously mounted the the cinema the cinematic visuals are awesome and it's up for like 15 donatello awards in italy and it's already been a big hit too costumes production design and the uh, makeup effects so you have the cg pinocchio the wooden puppet at the middle of this thing but all the other characters the fox and the snail who i found hilarious the tuna fish. Uh, i was There's just a hilarious tuna fish. i know it's just <laughs> really funny and sprightly yeah, and amusing it, it's on a continuum warm. with other stuff that garone's done in a really interesting kind of way like it takes tales of tales what he did with that film which didn't totally work all the time but then it also no. takes stuff like reality you know that kind of dark fairy tale storytelling that he hinted at there and puts it on a bigger canvas. I thought it took a little while to get going, but once it does, it's like the kind Roberto of... Roberto Benini is lovely as Geppetto. Which is funny because he also played Pinocchio 20 years ago. Right. But but I asked, I'm, one thing that, that I think is worth acknowledging about this movie is that even though it was a hit in Italy, it, it presents a very uh, unique challenge for the U.S. because on the one hand, it plays like this family-friendly kids thing, but it's not family-friendly. There's some dark stuff that happens to Pinocchio. It gets Neither into, was like, the original Disney animated film. Well, yeah, it was a flop 70 years it first ago. Opened. I mean, that was a long time So ago. it turns people into donkeys and, and it puts puts uh, you know puts people into the, the, the body of an enormous him. fish. Really you know, it's really them. dark and really nasty, and it's view of human nature is pretty pretty dour but he's a plucky little creature with a long nose and he perseveres um that's the problem though people uh, the buyers clearly are confused about how they would sell it and to whom yeah it's too bad netflix has their own pinocchio coming up because that would be the perfect answer disney's got a zemeckis one so which is live action so it's it, it, this is the first Apple, of three. Apple should pick yeah, this up. Exactly, <laughs> Apple needs to get in on. They can beat them all to the punch. But it, you know, it's also Amazon. <laughs> it's, it is a for, quote unquote foreign language film, and and even in a post parasite world, I do wonder if that is another consideration that might figure into all this. You don't want to watch a dubbed version of it. I, I certainly wouldn't want to. But uh, one of the weird things about this um, being here at this moment, uh, it's unusual that that the Barrel Anale falls after the Oscars. So the big talk of conversation 
topic of conversation was uh, Parasite and how uh, much of an impact it could have um, in the marketplace. <laughs> I heard somebody and joke, I, like, are the, all the buyers going to go to the Hong Sang Su film in the hopes that uh, they can get another career? Right, yeah, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't hold up your hopes. But, but, the, but the point is, is that you don't come along with an art house commercial breakout global hit every day and uh bong joon ho did something very special and it's not easily duplicated and it hasn't been found here yeah it will not necessarily i mean we'll have time to look at this but how much is it beneficial for can to have everyone looking for quote unquote this year's parasite if you know so this is not a great time of year for a major festival it it comes after sundance which picks up most of of the best of the american stuff and it was a good thing that they decided to book sundance anyway because that's some of their strongest stuff but it comes before can and and therefore the material that i mean if if the philippe garel was a strong movie it would have gone to can Right. Well, I think that that's, I mean, this was a challenge for a long time. It's a challenge in terms of timing. It's a challenge in terms of, you know, anything that is a can type of movie having a rationale for going somewhere else. The Gorel film is opening shortly afterwards. Also there, I think that, I think to me, Berlin has an opportunity that to distinguish itself from Cannes by showcasing films in, in prime slots that are satisfying, but don't necessarily benefit from a Cannes competition slot, which invites a different kind of scrutiny. So for example, Simon Liang's film, if you like this filmmaker's movies, which are almost non-narrative, very slow, you know, that it, it's, it's a satisfying work. It's called Days, and it has no dialogue. You know, it's about a bond between two characters in a hotel room. And I think that people who who appreciate his work will like it. And, and putting it in competition in Berlin is a, a statement about the kind of caliber of films they want in there. But to put it in competition at Cannes, you would annoy, you know, 2,000 journalists, and there would be walkouts and stuff. So that is also something to think about is, is what can you do in an environment like Berlin that you can't do? at Cannes. And, and I, it seems like that's sort of where the logic is, is going here. So we'll see how it, how it plays out. But, um, you know, it's not, it's not the worst place to be relative to other people. Well, on that note, well, um, before I Eric, go, so you're going to go to Greece and go off the grid for a bit. And I really hope you make it back to the U S because I, I know it's a little, a little scary out there right now. How, what's the mood from, from what you're hearing? Well, people are really trying to figure out, um, what the what the reality is i was talking to a woman last night who isn't going right back to korea you know she's been on the road Hmm. she's been traveling and she's going back to new york um and she's going to stay away from korea for a little while so people are making decisions like that i thought when i was coming here as i'm sure you did uh that europe was uh kind of a virus-free zone. Well, that's obviously not the case. Uh, there, there, there are a lot of cases in, in, um, in Italy, and, and it's obvious that it's going to be spreading uh, inexorably everywhere eventually. And we have plenty of cases back in California, where I live. So yeah, um, it's, not, it's not like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue on my merry way and, and uh, have my vacation and uh, hope, hope it all works out. Hey, if you have to stay on the beach in Greece a little bit longer, there are worse places to be, right? Fingers crossed that doesn't happen, but <laughs> find a way to make it work. So 
Anyway, so we're gonna take a break, right? You, you'll be, you'll be, we'll be taking a. I'll be pack. back in a couple of weeks, and I'll be on the jury at the Thessaloniki Film Festival, looking at lots of documentaries, and um, I will see you all uh, in mid March, and uh, we will be back on 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 track. All right, safe travels, and enjoy the rest of your time in Berlin as well. Thanks, Eric. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.